We're going to hear in just a moment a continuation of the gospel story. Those of you who've been with us for a few weeks know that we have been following Peter, one of Jesus' closest disciples, through his journey from his call story to uh, walking on water and sinking and uh, everything in between. We're hearing now just another piece of the story, and this piece you most likely hear on Easter morning. It's a story of the empty tomb and of resurrection, but every single Sunday is like Easter in that we proclaim the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the hope that that offers our world. So let's hear now from the Gospel of Luke. Thank you. And returning from the tomb, they told all this to the eleven and to all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary, the mother of James, and the other women women with them who told this to the apostles. But these words seemed to them to be idle tattle, tale, and they did not believe them. But Peter got up and ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in. He saw the linen cloths by themselves. Then he went home, amazed what had happened. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks Thanks be be to God. God. Please join me in an attitude of prayer. Lord, the Easter story is a familiar one. We pray that you give us new ears to hear it afresh this day. That we might see it through the eyes of Peter and perhaps take home some wisdom for ourselves. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. As our scripture begins, Jesus was known to be dead. There's no debate about that. But that's just where our story begins. That's not where our story ends. Three days ago, from before this scripture, Jesus' disciples had watched as their teacher and their friend had hung on a cross and suffered and died. They'd seen people take his clothing. They'd seen people mock him, ridicule him. Some of them had watched him take his final breath. The Jewish rituals of burial and mourning required seven days of mourning. So on this third day, they're not even halfway through the week required of them to grieve their friend. I want to go back a few verses before our scripture reading this morning picks up to help frame the story. So these women who approach the tomb, they're the only ones with enough guts to go to the tomb that early morning. Luke's gospel tells us it was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and then the nebulous, vague, other women who were with them. And they knew exactly what to expect when they reached the graveside. They were expecting to see the dead body of their friend. But as they approached the cemetery plot, things started to be a little bit peculiar, and they started to grow a little bit confused because the stone that had marked the entrance to the tomb had been moved, and as they got closer, they saw that not only had the stone been moved, but the body was missing. Jesus was not in the tomb. And so they have all these things going through their head. They're thinking, was Jesus' body stolen? 
The Jewish people believed in the physical resurrection of the body, as do Christians, and so to have a body stolen from the grave was a pretty big deal. But if the body was stolen, why would there be grave clothes left behind? These were the linens that Jesus' body would have been wrapped in. And so if somebody was stealing a body from the grave, why would they go to all the trouble to unwrap the body, which would be a smelly and unnecessary job? So what is going on here? They probably were a little bit confused. Maybe they were terrified. Maybe they were hopeful. We don't quite know what exactly was going through their heads. But just before our passage of scripture for today, this group of women encounters two strange men who are wearing dazzling clothes, brighter than anything they've ever seen before, waiting for them by the tomb. And they say, why are you looking for the living among the dead? Jesus is not here. He's been raised just as he said he would. And this is the point where the women start to remember Jesus told us that it would happen like this. Jesus told us that he would suffer and die and after three days be raised again. And it all comes brushing back the memories and the hope and the belief that maybe this could actually be happening for them. What if, what if it was happening just as Jesus had said? You know this story. It's the Easter story. And that's where our scripture picks up this morning. The women are so excited. They've had this encounter with the angels. The tomb is empty. They're not really sure what in the world is going on, but they rush off to tell the disciples because something is happening here. Something is happening. And they might have been a little bit overwhelmed, still confused, still a little bit uncertain, still kind of in shock. But they thought it was a story worth telling somebody about. And so they go to tell the 11 male disciples who did not believe them. And it's easy to look back now, 2,000 years later, and kind of shake a finger at those disciples and say, get it together, guys. Jesus told you this is what was going to happen. Weren't you expecting this? Weren't you hoping for this? But in the moment, they'd just seen their friend die. They'd just seen their friend and their teacher on the cross like the women had. They were just normal people. They'd heard about the trial. They'd seen Jesus on the cross. They'd watched the sky turn dark, just like everybody else had. The reality of death was so overwhelming, they couldn't bear to hope for something else. They couldn't dare to put their faith in this impossibility, this thing that didn't seem like it could happen. They didn't dare to hope that the woman might be telling the truth, that this thing might be real. The disciples dismissed their words as an idle tale. Some translations call it nonsense. If you look back at the Greek, the Greek points to a phrase of a story that should not be told because it is insane. A story that should not be told because there is no sense in it. And yet, they go and tell the story. And Peter was the only one who says, I want to go see this thing. I want to go check this out. Peter, who had tried to walk on water and, as we know, sank. Peter, who was the quickest to support Jesus and also the quickest to deny him. 
Peter, who was the most impetuous, who had the most hubris, who causes the most turmoil of any of the disciples, Peter, alone out of all the male disciples, says, I want to go see for myself. Now, if you've been here for a few of these sermons about Peter, you probably know that Peter was a major pain in the rear for Jesus. He's always asking questions. He's always assuming the wrong things. He often suggests things that don't make sense or don't line up with what Jesus is trying to teach them, and Peter routinely misses the point. But Peter also has moments of brilliance, and this is one such moment. Peter gets up on this early morning, and he runs to the tomb. He doesn't just walk. He doesn't dwaddle. He runs to the tomb. And he sees that the body is missing and that the grave clothes remain. And he is amazed. He's filled with wonder. Scripture doesn't say that Peter was completely convinced at this exact moment of the resurrection. But things are starting to churn around in his mind, just like they were for the women who first encountered that empty tomb. Peter has got to be thinking, this could be the real deal. This thing that Jesus preached would happen is, in fact, happening. Can you imagine those other disciples? They've been hearing the women talk about the empty tomb and angels and possible resurrection. It seems ridiculous to them. But Peter is not like the rest of those guys. He hears this story and he says, you know what, this thing may sound ridiculous and I may look like a total fool, but I still want to go check this thing out. In Luke's gospel account, nobody else goes with him. It's Peter alone at the empty tomb. And the rest of the disciples, maybe they're in shock, maybe they're disheartened, maybe they're disillusioned, they're in grief, they just can't put themselves out there one more time to be disappointed. We don't know what's going on. Maybe they're just over it because Jesus is gone and they think that's it. I'm not going to try to go see what might be happening. Peter, on the other hand, has been wrong so many times on so many issues that he's prepared, he's prepared to risk his dignity yet again on this important moment. He's willing to look out, uh, to go look and see what happened, even if he has these lingering doubts about what might have gone on, even if he might be wrong, even if he gets there and the rock on the entrance hasn't even been moved. I mean, they don't know at this point actually what's going on. Peter might end up looking foolish yet again. But that's the great thing about Peter. He always goes for it. He always puts himself out there and says, all right, I'm ready to do this thing. Call me out of the boat, Lord. I'm going. And that's how we are called to live our lives, too, as people of faith, as followers of Jesus. A life of faith is about risking being wrong following Jesus in the process. A life of faith is about going to see what God might be doing, even if we're not entirely certain how this thing is going to unfold. A life of faith is about taking some risks, loving the people that we're told by the world don't deserve love, forgiving people that we're told in the eyes of the world don't deserve to be forgiven, proclaiming life and resurrection where we look The world looks and sees only death and endings. Faith is risking looking like a fool once again for the sake 
of Christ so that we might be part of an Easter moment of hope and resurrection. So I ask you this morning, when's the last time you took a risk because of your faith? When's the last time you put yourself out there on something you didn't entirely know the outcome of related to your faith? Peter, as we've learned this summer, took risks all the time. And sometimes they panned out for him, sometimes they didn't. We know living in this world that there are more appropriate times to take risks than others. And we also know that you need to be smart. No one's served by our taking continual risks on the same person or situation that seems to be just taking and never giving back to us. We need to have some logic and some reason here. But if we set aside those big issues for just a moment, and if we're honest with ourselves, we have to admit that we like being comfortable. And most of us, truthfully, on that first Easter morning, we would have been with the rest of the 11 disciples, sitting back in the room, kind of folding our hands and saying, that Peter, what does he think he's doing? We don't like to look foolish. We don't really like to be inconvenienced. Many of us have tried something before and it didn't work, and so we don't want to try it again. We don't want to try anything similar again. We just want to write it off and say, there's no way. There's no way that that's going to work out. You know what I'm talking about. You all have an example that's coming to your mind. And that could have been Peter, too, because he had more reason than any of us to desire the expected and the comfortable. He had, any, he had more reason than any of us to just sit in a locked room with his friends and shake his head and say, they don't know what they're talking about. Because Peter, he didn't usually get the answer right. He usually did something wrong in any given situation. In this story, he's just betrayed his closest friend, not just once, but three times, and then his friend has died. And so it would be easy for Peter to just throw up his hands and say, I, I can't do anything more. I'm done. Who could blame him if he wanted to hide away in a locked room? But when it counted... Peter didn't let the shortcomings of his past stop him from participating in this Easter moment. Peter didn't let his doubts or his fears get the best of him. He ran to take part. And God can work with that. I can guarantee that everyone in this room this morning has something that is outside the comfort zone of your faith. Maybe it's taking a class at church in the fall. Maybe it's singing in the pop-up choir next week. Maybe it's singing a duet in front of the entire church. Maybe it's joining the youth group for the first time or volunteering as an adult counselor. Maybe it's volunteering to be a greeter in September. Maybe it's trying to read your Bible in a year. Maybe it's praying out loud. Maybe it's praying in general. Maybe it's being here in worship this morning. Maybe that's a little bit outside of your comfort zone. But you know what? If this is outside your comfort zone, you showed up to see what's going on, and God can do something with that. Anytime we show up, God will be at work. God will have something unexpected to show us. God will show us signs of resurrection. 
we have to go see. We have to show up. We have to be willing, like Peter, to take a bit of a risk. It doesn't matter what doubts we carry, what fears we have, what discomforts we're worried about, if we are willing to put ourselves out there to risk looking like a fool for Christ one more time, God can do something with that. Every chance, every Sunday is a chance to encounter Easter. Every Sunday is a chance to encounter hope when things seem bleak. Every Sunday is a proclamation that the tomb is empty, Christ is risen, hope reigns. And so may we this week follow the example of Peter. May we keep Easter in our hearts all year long. And may we, in the words of the gospel, be amazed and filled with wonder at what God is doing when we show up to see. Amen.